to Maranatha Christian Assembly Podcast, where we bring you the Word of God wherever you are. We pray that you be blessed by God's Word this week. going to our last two sermons uh, on my sermon series, Mental Health with God. And you know, I hope that you know, so far this mental health series has actually benefited you. Um, if those of you who are going through mental health, and I pray that you know, God will actually uh, continue to journey with you as you continue to just cling on to God, and cleave on to God, just draw strength from Him, and look at how, and just open your hearts and your eyes, you know, just to see how much God has let you out through your sufferings. And those of you who have known some of your friends, some of your family members who are going through any of this mental health, and I pray that you know you will become that vessel that God will use to bring them out. Because they need you too. If they have no one to walk with them, you can walk with them. Amen. And today is no difference from um, any other sermon that I'm going to preach and going to impact you guys. And this, today's sermon is about triumph over trauma. Some of you guys may be going through some childhood trauma that we do not know of. You know, some of you get, had uh, certain trauma that came along the way. Some of you had very fresh, raw trauma. Some of you know somebody who's still going through. They're stuck. I hope this sermon helps you to know where you guys are at your and also to help uh, understand where your friends, your loved ones who are going through are. So that you can journey with them. Work with them. Yeah, my daughter says amen. Yeah, you can hear that, right? Amen. <laughs> yeah, so yes, we, we face all kinds of traumatic events in our life. You know, there was one time in the MRT, you know, I was hearing this, this uh, friend, the colleagues, they were having this conversation. Then I think uh, one of the boss, I think one of the higher up, maybe it's not the boss, said something and then you know and the the word that came out usually i don't really use job but the word that came out right it's like oh my goodness did he claim for mental health damage i was like wow there's such thing that you can claim mental health damage huh? i have no idea where it is Eunice, if there is if there's an insurance for it let me know okay i thank god i don't have okay i've overcome my uh, mental health uh, issues but you know i just i'm so amused by it you know i was like wow you can claim her huh? wow amazing yeah, but you know what? It's a real thing, okay? People who go through trauma, it is painful for them. Yeah, even to even step and do anything. Trauma happens in all forms, in shapes, and size, in all kinds. Some through assault, rape, bullying, crime, violence. Sometimes in medical emergencies, the recent one was COVID, and then we have flooding uh, in Malaysia, some people lost a couple of family members, natural disasters, and some in different social contexts. Yeah, so every place and every setting, your work setting, your child's school setting, your tuition center setting, wherever we are, your trauma will just hit you, boom, like that. And next minute you know you're in a shock. You know, as time passes, what happened to this person? This person shuts down. We shut down to protect ourselves. We shut down to stop the trauma from coming in, to flood in. 
And then once we are done shutting down, we are so in that habit of staying silent. We do not know how to come out. We do not know how to connect. We do not know what to do with our pain. And sometimes we even feel that it's humiliating. I realize, right, in Singapore, I hear conversations around with, especially my clients, and then, you know, they say that, you know, they say it's humiliating to talk about their pain because they feel that they are powerless, they are useless, especially when some of them who goes through uh, medical emergencies, they almost lost their child, and then family members came and point fingers at them and they said, I do not know what to do. I'm suffering myself. I cannot cope. And some, some people go through that, yeah, that whole journey. So no matter how big or small that trauma is, okay, the healing for that traumatic experience, right, um, will only lead us to become a resilient person. And how we can do and what we can do in this part of our journey in life is to help them, to help these people, show them, hey, there's someone greater and powerful that can help you. And I am their vessel. Amen. And if you are going through it, you know what? Today, this message is just for you. So when we go through it today, you know, I was praying and asking, you know, there is this man that all know, very, very famous. His name is Joseph. Yeah, you all know the story of Joseph. Do we? Let me give a recap, okay? Just let you all know, okay? Uh, we read certain parts, certain chapters, certain moments in his life. But let me go through the whole entire picture and tell you that, you know, in the book of Genesis, Joseph had a severe childhood trauma, all right? I'll show you why and how he overcame it. But yes, he had a very severe childhood trauma. Trauma, not drama. Yep. And what happened is that um, during his trauma, the very first hit, he was in a family, okay? Um, he's a favorite son, right? So Jacob has two wives, and then he is the son of the favorite wife. And then being the son of the favorite wife, so the other 10 brothers, adult men, adult brothers, okay, were bullying this young poor boy. Okay, and this young poor boy also like, you know, I've got a dream that I'll cut short off my dream. Well, you all should bow down to me. Wow. My pride got hurt, so I'll bully him. So things happen. Alright? So in his father's house, he was bullied. And, and what happened is that what caused that severe trauma was that he was dead. As usual, the dad would say, go and find your brothers, go and give this to your brothers, go and check out what are they doing. So he went to find his brothers. And when he went to his brothers, his brothers were really plotting something. They're plotting to kill him. All right? They're plotting to kill him, but they didn't, so what did they do? They took him, they grabbed him, stripped him off his favorite robe that he's been wearing. Probably he didn't wash, I don't know. Yeah, almost every day. Yep. And then stripped him naked, tear his clothes, and then throw him into the dry well, into that pit. After he wailed and he cried and he shouted for help, because it's a scary deep heat. And then came some travellers. They said, okay, let's not kill him. Then what do we do? Let's sell him off. So they sold him. And this poor boy, this poor boy was then abandoned by his brothers. It was sold into a foreign country. We have no idea. And that land was Egypt. Just sit for a moment. If you are 
Joseph. If you are Joseph, how do you feel? So hard to imagine, right? How does he, he actually feels? We can only feel as a third party. If that happens to you, if you're thrown into that pit, wow. Some of us have been thrown into that pit. Some of us will have been betrayed. Some of us have been sold by our colleagues. Some of us have been backstabbed. That itself is our current context of what trauma events can happen and it hits us. But imagine Joseph. When Joseph got into that traumatic experience, this is where we see how God starts to unfold bit by bit by bit. It sounded very slow, but God brought him out. We see this chapter and we saw the ending. We saw and we know that he saved his brothers. He saved his family. He was a second in command. What happened in between? This is where we're going to find out. Yeah. So, the big picture here that I'm going to share with everyone is that as the story unfolds, we will learn how God walks with us in our struggles and strengthen us to overcome our trauma. Just like he did with Joseph, he will walk with us in our struggles and strengthen each and every one of us as we overcome it. That's why today's topic, triumph over trauma. God has already won for you, but he's going to walk with you through it and strengthen you in every way. So here it goes, okay? Trauma healings comes in, very, uh, three, uh, in three very, very complex stages, all right? It's not three, like one, two, three, very easy, right? ABC, right? But it's very, very complex, all right? But it's very important for each and every one of us to understand where are we or where the victim is in his healing process. Then we know how to help or we know how to progress from here. Alright, so the first thing, right, that trauma victim needs to know is that it's, is he safe? Alright, is he or she safe? Safety is very important because, you know, when they do not feel um, safe either emotionally or physically, they will tend to shut down. They're not going to progress anywhere. They're not going to go anywhere. Even if you put your hand out, they're not going to hold your hand. Safety is very important. Yeah, and because um, safety is very important, a lot of us, okay, a lot of us have God's promise to tell us that, you know what, a God can keep us safe. God can keep us safe. Psalm chapter 1 verse, uh, Psalm chapter 1 to 1, okay, verse 7 to 8 tells us this, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and coming in from this time forth and forevermore. God promised to keep you safe. If you have no one to go to, go to God. If you have, you do not know how to bring these people, bring this person to God. Because God promised to keep this person safe. Let's see how he actually keeps this person safe. Or let's say, let's see how God keep Joseph safe. So, you know, in Genesis 37, he was bullied, betrayed, abandoned by his 10 brothers. And then after that onwards, right, it doesn't seem like God is keeping him safe, you know. Right? It doesn't seem like it. 
Because you see, uh, after that, you know what happened? After that slavery, he was sold into slavery. Then he became a slave in Potiphar's house. God prospered everything, right? God prospered everything. And then what happened? Potiphar's wife took interest because he's a handsome... The scripture is so cute. Okay, I love it when he says, Joseph grown into a handsome young man. Wow, when I read that. So then Potiphar's wife was interested in him. And then this is what happened. He obviously didn't go and sleep with her, but she told her husband and told everyone and says, he attacked me. Okay, he attacked me. And what they did was they took him without trial first, threw him into the prison. And he waited in prison. I do not know how long, but I know it's more than two years. Because after that, in prison, God favoured him and then came these two inmates called the cupbearer and the baker. Alright, so the cupbearer and the baker, they had treason against uh, Pharaoh and Pharaoh threw them in until, you know, there's a trial. So these two guys were inside. They were very new inmates. Hi, baker. Hi, cupbearer. And then after that, suddenly, you know, these two guys woke up very, very, very sad. Then he told them their dreams, explained their dreams. And then after that, we know um, the cupbearer was reinstated and the baker was put to death. And he told the cupbearer, remember me, okay? Remember me. Tell Pharaoh about me. But what happened? He got forgotten. Wow. How is this, how is this being saved, God? How is this being saved? He was, he was accused and then he was abandoned. And then the Lord says in 1, 2, 1, verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. God, are you keeping me from all evil? He will keep your life, he will keep your coming and going from this time forth and forevermore. You know the interesting thing about this story, okay, is that when Pharaoh, sorry, not when Pharaoh, when Joseph was, when Joseph was taken from his father's house, from that pit, into Potiphar's house. I just want you all to know something. Okay, in Genesis 39, verse 2 to 6, you can read the whole entire uh, chapter there. Verse 39, it says, God was with Joseph. How do we know that God was with Joseph? How did Joseph knew that God was with him? Because God prospered everything he touched and he gained favor from Potiphar he gained favor from his master and now he's placed second person in charge in Potiphar's house isn't that favor but at the point of time when in his pain do you think he was able to see it it's hard for us to see it but you know what he knew that God was with him because in verse 39, he says, Potiphar's wife asked him to sleep with her and he says, no one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He knew that God was in the house with him at Potiphar's household. He could say, how could I sin against Potiphar? How could I sin against myself? 
But instead of saying his master, he put God. He recognized God. In his pain, he recognized God. Although he was not out and back to his family, he recognized God was with him. God was keeping him safe. And interestingly, after this passage, you see the next few verses. Okay, Potiphar's wife didn't touch him. But instead, she kept provoking him until she cannot take it anymore. Yeah, going back and forth, back and forth. And in the end, she cannot take it anymore. He inflicted an accusation on him. And he got thrown into the prison. Now, again, you thought about it. Wow, God thrown into prison. God, how is prison a safe place? It's supposed to keep us safe, right? God promised to keep us safe. But God, how is this safe? Then you know what? In Genesis 39, verse 21 to 30, 23, it recorded that Joseph uh, had the presence of God. God was with Joseph. And the prison warden, okay, gave him the responsibility and did not bother what Joseph did because everything he did was prosperous. Now, interestingly, okay, if we look at, if we understand how Egypt was, okay, the ancient Egypt, it is known from its brutal punishment. So when you are a prisoner, you go inside, you'd be very scared, right? Wow, it's a very scary place. God, how is this safe? You know, it just came into my mind. How is this safe? You promise a safe place, but God, prison is not a safe place to me. Yep. But, you know, when I studied a little bit more, and I realized that actually, ancient Egyptians, right, although they are brutal, in their punishment. They will do impalement, tearing out the body and whatever it is. Okay, I shall not go anymore there. So go. Um, they have a strong sense of morality and justice. Alright? That is the one that keeps Egypt in order because they believe that universe has an order. Yeah, the universe has an order. So that's their belief. Okay? So they do not believe in lifetime imprisonment. Okay? So technically, right, when Joseph was inside, he's either supposed to be freed or he's supposed to be put to death. So these two things. They don't believe in lifetime imprisonment. Okay? Because you know why? Bad people need to be put to death in order to maintain that cosmic order. Yeah? They don't believe in, you know, having bad omen in their country, uh, in, in their nation. So, what happened is that, um, so what happened is that at death, right, you know, their heart, interestingly, okay, their heart was way against this feather according to this goddess of justice, her name is Mart. And uh, if a person has a good heart, then they have a very balanced, then they can go into afterlife. Then, uh, if, they have a, if they do something bad, they had a crime, uh, their, their heart is not weighed against the feather, and then they will get eaten by another goddess. Yep. So, this is how, and this is what they believe. So, right, even the judge themselves, Cannot, cannot anyhow pronounce, okay? Because if they're pronounced wrongly, they will be eaten after death. Scary, right? So that's why, right, uh, justice is very, very important to them. Yeah? During Joseph's time, okay, power trip is very, very little, okay? Because they believe that the deity will either eat them or send them to afterlife after their death. So, having said that, right, Joseph knew that he was an upright man. So him being in prison 
it doesn't seem that he's afraid. It doesn't seem like he's afraid. Because you know why? When he met with these uh, new inmates called the cupbearer and the baker, all right, in Genesis chapter 40, you can have a look at it. Okay, he helped them interpret dreams. The first thing first, he says, why are you so sad? If you are worried, if you're anxious, will you take notice about other people's feelings? It's very hard, right? Because you're so busy worrying about yourself. But we can tell that Joseph might not be worried. Maybe he's disappointed and he's sad that he's still in jail. So technically, what does it mean? That this place is actually a safe place for him. He's out from accusation. Nobody can accuse him. Nobody can point fingers at him because he's an upright man. But at this point of time, he realized he can be forgotten. Men tend to disappoint us, betray us, backstab us. But you know, we have a God who's always there. He knows the plan before us. We might not know what he is doing. Joseph might not know why he is now placed in a pit. But from a third-person party, when we look at this story, then we realize he's actually at a safe place. And on top of it, yeah, on top of it, God gave him favor in the prison as well. So he recognized that God was with him. And then two years passed, our dear cupbearer remembered, oh, I know who can interpret dreams. His name is Joseph and he's in jail right now. So Pharaoh, would you like to, let me introduce to this young man who can interpret dreams. Yep, and then Joseph got reinstated as second in command, you know, because he was able to interpret correctly. And once he's able to interpret correctly, he realized Pharaoh realized that God was with him. If you notice that verse, that Pharaoh said that God is with you because he gave you these dreams. He's able to let you interpret these dreams. And then he was placed because he has the favor of God. Even Pharaoh noticed it and recognized it. He positioned Joseph second in command because he recognized God was with him. Now, Joseph is so powerful that no one can hurt him. Church, Psalms 1 to 1 says, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep you, he will keep your life. The Lord will keep you going out and coming in from this time forth and forevermore. We see Joseph's life. God kept Joseph from the pit to Potiphar's house, to the prison, and then to the palace. You see how God moved him. When you are in your place of suffering and say, God, help me, take me out. I am suffering. And God repositioned you. And you do not know why God here, why? God has a plan. He has a palace for you. But you have to wait upon him just like Joseph did. He opened his eyes to see God's blessing in his life. He continued to fear God and live upright. So just like Joseph, we, as we wait in our pain and our suffering, let us choose to live and do what is right before God. 
let us recognize and tell ourselves that God is with us. He will bring us to safety. God will move us from here to there. I do not know when, I do not know how, but He will bring me out. And He will care for me and keep me safe. God provided food, shelter, clothes, and favor to Joseph. God will provide your needs. God will provide your needs. Just want to share a little story here, okay? I've gotten this uh, permission from uh, my client's mom. Very two young clients' mom, so adorable. Um, and and uh, reason why I want to share this is because um, there is power in this story. All right. So for their anonymity sake, I will call them Jane and John. All right. So don't go look for any Jane and any John. It's not them. Okay. So Jane is uh, seven. She's uh, seven years old and John is four years old. Many years back, they were my first sibling for uh, sibling therapy. Okay, I never had sibling therapy before. There's no such thing. <laughs> All right, but because they were so in pain, their trauma hit them so hard that they cannot separate from each other. They cling on to each other because they know that with each other, they can be safe. So what happened is that uh, back then, before their parents got divorced, uh, they were emotionally and physically abused. By the, um, by the father and the father's girlfriend. And uh, they were threatened to behave well. They threatened to keep secrets, threatened to do errands. And, you know, there were marks on them. The abuse became so bad when the divorce finally finalized. Okay, and they were separated. They could not sleep well. They were safe now. All right, they're now safe in their mother's house. Away from the abuser. But... They, were, they don't feel safe. Okay? They don't feel safe. One, one thing about trauma, okay, just to give a little, um, just to help us understand a little bit about what trauma does is that um, it, it, it creates this fear in us. It entangles us. Even though you're out of it, we feel that we are relieving it again and again and again and again. Yeah? So as, as time passes, right, we, we feel that I need to protect myself. Yep. And um, it isolates the victim and paralyzing their feelings so that they will not live again in their vivid memories, even though it's in the memories. Yep. So when I was working with them, right, we have to be very, very careful with them. Okay? We have to be very careful because, you know, their trauma is so fresh. That to the point that when they sleep, they scream. When they come out from the house, okay, they can take bus, they can take car, but they cannot take MRT. They will scream. Imagine if you have one screaming kid throwing a tantrum, that's bad enough. Imagine two, not tantrum kids, okay, there are two fearful kids screaming at the top of their lungs. It's so heartbreaking. Yeah. Just imagine the mom so lost. Yeah, so the sisters actually engaged uh, them to bring them over, and you know uh, I worked with them. They had a hard time going to school as well, very hard because they cannot separate, so they cannot go to school. They are afraid that when they go to school, the auntie or uh, the father will come to their school and take one of them away. They do not know what's going on, so they replay all these vivid memories. Something will happen, the threat will come through. So, 
so when we when we work with them, um, back then before I had my kid, before I had uh, Lucas, I used to wear a pendant. Okay, as a cross was always a constant reminder for me. Okay, that you know um, I am in this uh, in this therapy session, and I carry the presence of God with me. And so when I was starting out, and I four therapy sessions in. Okay, so Jane was looking at my cross. She noticed my cross pendant. And then she finally plucked up the courage and asked me, is this a cross? I said, yes. I said, can I ask God to help me? He says, yes. Do you think he can help me? I said, yes. So I got curious, so I asked. It says, well, why, why do you ask uh, about God? And he says that, I heard my auntie, okay, he has a, a mom has a sister that goes, she's a Christian and she goes to church, and says that she talks about God, and God has always been protecting her. So I need to know whether God can keep me safe. I said, well, Let's pray. Because in, you have to be very careful. You know, in a secular counselling uh, room, right, you cannot like, introduce the faith. It has to come from the client. So I was so happy that, wow, you know, this child was so open and then let's do it. So I told her and said, well, we can pray. He said, can I pray now? Sure, let's pray now. Then I closed my eyes and I have really no idea what to say. Yeah. And then... He says, God, can I talk to you here? My heart's like, yes, you can. But anyway, she said, um, can you help me? I'm scared. I'm scared of daddy. I'm scared of auntie. They said they'll come and find me and Didi, and I'm so scared. I was like, you have never spoken so much word to me, but you can spoke so much uh, to God. I'm like, wow, impressed. God's the best therapist, okay? Every day I go into my therapy room, I'll pray, God, please help me to talk. So he opened up her wound and let her revisit. And then suddenly she cried in that room. She cried and she cried and she cried. Then her poor little brother was just playing and said, okay, I think she's not bullying her. It's fine. Yeah. And she cried. She cried so hard. And then she stopped crying. And I asked her, how do you feel right now? And she said, I don't know. I felt somebody hug me from behind. I was like, ah, I see. And I know it's not you. Because he has a big heart. I'm very small, okay? Yeah, it's a big heart. And it's a very warm heart. I think that is God. She felt the presence of God in her therapy room. And she said that God is keeping her safe. So, she asked me, can I follow auntie to church? Because that is where God stays, right? I said, well, yes, you can follow auntie to church. Yeah, you ask your mom and then, you know, you all go to church together and you go and see God. Yeah, and then ask him for more help. And he says, okay. And the session ended very happily, you know. You know, that joy of knowing that she can be safe, 
that joy of knowing that I can be in the presence of God and God just hug me and know that I am safe. When you are struggling, when you don't even need to hit that most traumatic moments, you feel that you are, you are not safe, cling on to God. Pray like her. God will hug you. God will keep you safe. Out of that danger, God has took her out and placed her at her mom's place. She's now safe. God will keep you safe just like everyone else, that he has kept them safe. Once when a person is feeling safe, okay, the next stage of healing is that remembrance and mourning. All right? A couple of things that uh, I will usually do is to say um, some terms and then I'll explain a little. But, you know, when we do that, always remember, right, um, that, that our mind and uh, when we go through trauma, our mind tends to be reconstructed, okay, by the pain and the misbeliefs of ourselves and others and even even uh, even misbelief about how the world works and how faith is because that traumatic event has caused a damage to our experience. Yep. So that's why right, it's very important to uh, meditate upon the Word of God, continue to be in Him and tell Him that, you know, uh, tell yourself that, yes, the presence of God is with us. He's, he has promised us. And also practice um, mindfulness. Yeah, practice mindfulness. So what mindfulness is? All right, mindfulness, um, last time I thought mindfulness was meditation, but then when I realized as I studied that mindfulness is just being aware about your surroundings, where you are right now. So when you breathe, all right, when you breathe, be aware because there are a lot of noise in our mind and say that, oh yeah, useless, oh no, the danger is here, the danger is coming, be aware, run, run, run. But you know what? When you are mindful about the surrounding, just like what this little Jane did, she felt the presence of God. She was aware that, wow, God was with her. Yep. So you need to remind yourself. Then when we move to the next stage, right, which is one of the most painful part, but essential, it's to remember and, some say remember and forget, but no, it's remember and mourn. All right. So what does remembering and mourning does? You know, we have to remember is to relieve that trauma to remember what happened and then reframe from them. Reframe what story that comes out from there. And then we have to mourn for it. It's like Pastor Media, I know I know that revisiting, you know, we go through and go back to our memories. That's what we see a lot in therapy sessions. But mourning, why, why should I mourn? See, revisiting the past and remember to mourn is important because it helps us identify with whatever that you have lost in a traumatic event. So oftentimes, right, when we mourn, right, you usually think that, oh, it's for somebody who just passed away or lost a relationship. But, you know, at these traumatic events, sometimes you have lost your youth. Sometimes you have lost your opportunity to be with family members, you lost something during the trauma. Church, it's painful enough to walk through, but we know that we need to go through this period, this moment. I would like to encourage you that God is present with you 
as he listens to you while you take your time to make sense of what has happened. As you make sense and put words in those feelings. God is present with you in your pain. You see, Joseph recognized, right, that God kept him safe all these years to the point he even, he even named his son Manasseh in Genesis 41, verse 51 here. It says, God has made him forget his sufferings. So I shall, God has made me forget my sufferings, so I shall call my son Manasseh. So sad, so putting this boy is going to call Manasseh. Forgotten. Yeah, but he recognized that God has made him forget about the pain, made him forget about his suffering, made him forget that he is a son of Jacob. Now, after God has prepared a safe place for him, God is with him to process all this emotional trauma. Because in Genesis 42, okay, this is where God let him revisit his trauma. What happened here is that there was famine. All right, so he interpreted for Pharaoh there was a famine and then people from different nations came because of the, uh, the food that was stored in Egypt it was so abundant they can actually sell to different nations. So, uh, Joseph's brothers, they came all the way from Canaan and because there was famine in Canaan, they came all the way to Egypt to buy grains. All right, so Joseph being Joseph, uh, he was walking and make sure everything was in, uh, in order. Everybody buy the grains that they need. Everything is done in order. And then he saw this group of big men came in. Oh, not came in, sorry. Came in a large group. Ten person. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, ten of them. Look very, very familiar. My brothers. When we see our trauma coming right at us, what do you do? What do you do? We have no idea what was he feeling, okay, at that point of time, until he came right before him. Until they came right before him. This is where we notice a full-blown-up anger. And sadness. If you notice in the last few uh, chapters, right, you do not hear about uh, Joseph's feelings. It's not because he's not sad, he's not angry, he's not disappointed. Yeah, he is. Okay. But it was not full-blown until the trauma came. So the brothers came and then, you know, there was this all-out full-blown anger. You spies! Wow, he called them you spies. Sound very familiar. Familiar, right? Remember the brothers? When he came up to his brothers, they'd be like, Bro, you spy, ah. you come and tell us to your father, is it? Wow, when he came, he was full of anger, right? He started scolding him, You spies! And then he remembered, Oh, I remembered the dream that, uh, the dream that I dreamt back then, 17 years ago. I am supposed to be that man that you guys bow down to. Now bow to me. Okay, he didn't say bow to me, no. but he says, You are spies. They were bowing to him and said, no, we are not. We are honest men. We are not spies. He was so angry that he threw all of them into prison, just like how they threw him into the pit. When trauma being relieved, you will notice that, that anger comes in. We want to take revenge. Right? Sounds familiar, right? We want to take revenge. 
you want to be like, you know, I know what you did to me. You watch out. I will give you the taste of your own medicine. Right? Sometimes we have that. When we are angry, it's natural. That's our process. But you know what? When he was angry, God was with him. Notice something, okay? Just want you all to notice something. Just look at this, okay? You don't see God was with him in the next few chapters. Alright? Because God has written for the past three chapters that God was with him and God prospered him. God was with him and God prospered him. And now, he has mentioned enough for you to know that God was with him. Even in his pain, even in his anger, God was with him. You know what? He could have just killed the brothers. Huh? He has all the authority, but he didn't. He threw them into the prison. Yeah. And, and, and it took him three days, three days before he'd go back and see his brothers again in prison. I was asking God, God, where are you? Where are you when Joseph was angry? And this professor, okay, she wrote a pastoral counseling journal papers. Uh, I really love her papers, by the way. Okay, Professor Mira Poliak, okay, wrote um, in one of her articles that, you know what, Joseph's grounding has always been God. Okay, so what is grounding? Okay, grounding is a, is a psychological term that we use for self-soothing. Alright, so sometimes we, you see some kids has this fidget spinner, you know, there was spin, or some people were just touch, touch to, to keep themselves, know that, oh, I'm in reality, I'm grounded. Yep. Some people will actually have a stress ball or breathing technique or they close their eyes. Okay, I'm grounded. I'm here. Okay, bring them back to the reality because sometimes when fear comes in, we get stuck in our mind and then our mind will tell us to run, something's going to happen, something's bad is going to attack us. But you know, when you have grounding, okay, you have something to ground you. You realize that, okay, God is with me. I'm safe. Nobody can harm me. I have the authority right now. So that was Joseph. Joseph's grounding has always been God because he said this, do this and you will live for I fear God. All right, Joseph, when he mentioned the word God, I fear God, that was his grounding. The same time when he did with Potiphar's wife, okay, how could I sin against God? God, that word became his grounding because he knew that God was with him throughout church. God promised us that He will be our comforter. 2 Corinthians verse 1 to 3 says that, uh, 1 verse 3 says that, He is our comforter. Yeah, He is our comforter. He says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, a Father of compassion and God of all comfort. All this title, and he came to this. He comforts us in all our troubles. When Joseph came, he used God's name. I fear God. I cannot sin against God. God was his grounding. When you come and face your fear, before you revisit your past memories, you need to have some grounding. What is your grounding? Yeah, what is your grounding? Some people, okay, grounded their word uh, themselves in the promises of God. Some ground themselves in um, 
in some metaphors, some ground in certain promises like hope and faith and joy. Some ground themselves there. Alright, so what happened is that he grounded himself in the name of Jesus. Yeah. So when he revisit his brothers and he hear that, wow, they're blaming one another and Reuben was there and says, oh, I told you not to sin against that boy. He was able to mourn. He was able to cry because after hearing all those, in verse 39, all the way to verse, uh, sorry, in chapter 39, all the way in verse 22, he was able to mourn. He was able to cry and said, why? Why didn't you save me earlier, God? Why didn't you make them come to me? God, why do you even let them abandon me in this pit? He was crying. Oh, I wish I could actually ask him, why are you crying? But he was mourning so that he can heal and move forward. He'll put that traumatic event behind him. Church, find your grounding, what God has promised you, and take time to mourn about what you have lost or what that person has lost. Find somebody professional to help you or a pastor to help you because they'll be there to help you anchor yourself in this reality. It's, a, it's okay. It's okay to cry. You have lost a lot of things in the trauma. And next step, it's a beautiful step and that is where the healing comes in. Alright? The next healing part is powerful and it's called reconnecting. In this recovery process, okay, trauma victims have to do three things, not in any particular order. All right? They have to reconnect with themselves, or re, uh, reconcile with themselves, reconnect with others, and resolve trauma. Why they need to do this? They need to do this so they can step into and work towards God's victorious plan. Church, God has a victorious plan for you. All this while, Joseph has a victorious plan. It's just, how is he getting there? God has shaped him and moved him and bring him there. And now, he has to make effort to walk towards that plan that God has for him. So, when we look at Joseph at the end, okay, he did not like skip all the process, woo, and then reach there to the end, ta-da, and victorious. No, he had to work through and work towards God's victorious plan for him. So first he did, alright, it's with his brothers. You know this in Genesis, chapter 44, all the way to 45, where he met his brothers. He cried, he mourned, he's done with himself, processing that part. Now he needs to reconnect. He took an effort to meet with his brothers eat with his brothers. And the epitome of it is where he decided to forgive his brothers. You notice in uh, Genesis 45, he wept, he revealed himself, I am Joseph. And then he hugged them. And he told them that it's okay. He was there because he had healed himself. At that point of time, he was able to console them. He was telling them that he's okay. That it's okay. All these things happen for a reason. And then, they cried some more, and then they kissed, and a cheek, I believe, okay? And that's how he reconnected with his family, restoring that relationship with each other. God has a faith community for each and every one of us to grow strong in. 
Yeah, God has a community for each and every one of us to grow strong in. In Ecclesiastes, can I have the Ecclesiastes verse up, please? You know what it says in Ecclesiastes? Yep. So, what happened in um, Ecclesiastes is that when God says two are better than, two are better than one. Because if one falls, what happened to the other? Poor thing for that one. Because there's nobody to pick them up. So church, reconnect with your community and come back to God. God has a community for you. But he's not done. What did Joseph did at the next part? He says, he is going to send, he is going to help him heal his own identity. Last time he used to say, I am the forgotten son. I am a stranger. But in 45, chapter 45, he says, look at me, I am Joseph, your brother. Church, how are you identifying yourself? How are you reconciling with yourself? Are you reconciling with yourself with the past or with your future? If you label yourself of the past and what the past has done for you, I'm hopeless, I'm nothing, you will stay hopeless. You will stay nothing. But God does not want us to stay there. God tells us that we are beautifully and wonderfully made. We are sons and daughters of God. And God will give you the promise that He has planned for you. So when you put that name away and take that you are a child of God, you are stepping forward and into the presence of God towards His victorious plan for you. So I invite the worship team as we do our last part. This is a beautiful closure for them, for Joseph. Joseph said, God sent me ahead from you to preserve you, a remnant on the earth, to save your lives by a great deliverance. And then again, he said in verse, uh, chapter 50, verse 20, he says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done and saved many lives. He retold his story. He gave his trauma. He resolved his trauma. He gave his trauma an ending. Sometimes we do not know what God is doing in our life, but God is giving us an ending a victorious ending. So when you come to that stage of like, now, where am I, God? You have the power to tell your story. You either want to go and reach and walk towards that plan that God has for you, or you can stay. So I invite everybody to just stand and let's pray. Let's just take this time. Just pray. As we just take this time to just be with God. At this last part of the story, said when John and Jane were with me, 
they were discharged after three months, fit. Upon receiving that letter, that mom told me that, you know what? It's because of the cross that you wore, we have received Christ. No more screaming. No more crying. No more nightmares. We are free. They are now free. They took comfort in knowing God. Without that trauma, mom and grandma will never come to cry. They could have not met God. Without that trauma, we will not have heard this story. That powerful and beautiful story that they have met God in that therapy room. Safe. God, we come before you. We come into your presence, Lord, and engulf us. Engulf us with your hands, your lovely, warm hands. Tell us that we are safe, Lord. Keep us safe. Keep us from all harm and danger, Lord. Lord, we are in you. And Lord, help us and give us strength as you walk with us in our pain, in our struggles, Lord. Lord, strengthen us like how you did with Joseph. Strengthen us like how you did with Jane and John. Strengthen us, Lord. Give us your word of promise and we will cling on to it. Give us your word of promise and we will claim it because we do not know what we are going through right now, but we know we have a victorious plan right at the end for each and every one of us. And Lord, at this point, at this moment of time, give us your strength. Lord, keep us close to you. Help us to change our identity to a victorious identity, a son and daughters of Christ. Our beloved God, because we know that in you, you will save us, you will help us, you will care for us, and you will never be abandoned ever again. We know that every promises that you gave in the word comes true. So Lord, help us to lean in with you because we know that you are there with us taking every step of the way. And Lord, as we sing that victorious song, Lord, Lord, help us to look beyond our pain, Lord, because we will get there because of you. Lord, give us your presence. Thank you for listening to this series. We hope that you are blessed. If you would like to go deeper with us, head over to our website at maranata.sg for more information.